Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key, and friendships are made to last a lifetime. Got him? You think we got him? We got him. You said that yesterday. <laughs> Alright, Skylar, what do we got here? We got a oh. nice looking red ball. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Women of the Wild podcast. I am your host, Linda White, and today I have my co-host, guest, and founder of Women of the Wild, Felicia Marie, with me here. How are you doing, Felicia? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So um, I guess we'll just jump right into it. How honestly did you get started in the outdoors? Uh, so for me, I mean, I grew up on the Great Lakes. So I've been fishing for as long as I could hold a fishing pole in my hands. Um, my dad and I were really close and he was an avid fisherman. So we fished Lake Erie, uh, parts of Canada, traveled all over um, and really just drove my passion from there starting pretty young in the fishing end of everything. Um, we went to, you know, Maryland and we'd fish. We went to Aruba and did deep sea fishing. And it wasn't until my teens until I got involved in hunting. Um, but once I did it, like it took over everything of me. Um, I, I, I started pretty simple and small with small game, um, started with, you know, frogs and squirrels and just the minimal, I guess, animals. And then it, from there, it kind of manifested and started whitetail hunting, uh, at, at a pretty young age. I mean, it was like my late teens, but, um, I mean, I, I say at a young age, but I mean, I'm out here getting, I have two kids and getting my kids in the outdoors now, but at that time, you know, it was, it was pretty taboo for a female to be hunting. And, uh, I killed my first white tail. And, um, I just, I remember asking my grandfather if I could, we had, family and we had a property down in West Virginia. I remember asking if I could go to deer camp and I was always told, no, it like, it wasn't, it wasn't a place for a girl. And, uh, as I, as I got older, I just, I kept going and, and hunting. And the more that I did it, the more that I grew a passion, not only for hunting, but for the animals and, you know, agriculture and everything. So I really immersed myself in it. And, uh, you know, almost, almost two decades later, I'm still here. I'm, I'm, it's everyday life for me now. Um, and then being able to share it with not only my kids, but other women, it's really just grown into this deep passion of an everyday lifestyle. Yeah. And we've talked before. I mean, not only are you doing this as, as a hobby sport, you know, but like you said, a lifestyle, I mean, to the point where you don't even go out and buy meats and things like that anymore. I mean, you, you truly are living off what you harvest, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't purchase meat at a grocery store. Every meal provided at our table is either something that myself or my children have harvested. That's wonderful. So with that being said, what are, what are some of your favorite meals that you have harvested? Uh, well, I will tell you our household favorite is squirrel dumplings. I make the uh, crack pot full of squirrel dumplings in the fall and that goes over really well but another big one of my favorites is venison enchiladas my oldest anything honestly that's involving a fish uh so we you know fish the great lakes travel and fish he he kind of likes the crappie the walleye pike um i would think those would be amongst his favorites and my youngest he's a pasta kid so i would have to say venison spaghetti would be his but 
Um, I'm a sucker for tacos and any type of fajita taco enchilada is typically my go-to favorite. Um, but we're hoping to expand that out and start venturing into more, um, you know, especially I just got back from Africa last month and being able to experience some of that culture and the cuisine over there, I'm starting to adapt my, my cooking styles a little bit to, to venture outside of my norm. When you were over in Africa, were you able to bring any meat and everything back or what were you able to bring back? Uh, so we are not able to bring meat back from Africa, um, but we were able to try everything. So we were able to try everything that was harvested and everything that uh, was left there. The uh, meats were donated to local villages, schools, nursing homes, just really whatever needs it um, over there is where the meat goes. Um, but the only thing that actually gets to come back is the taxidermy after it's quarantined and goes through customs and everything. It'll come back to the taxidermist, but you really can't bring much back through customs. Like you couldn't even bring, I bought some bit long, uh, which is like uh, beef jerky. I bought it at the airport mm-hmm. and I actually had it confiscated by U.S. customs when I got back because it's not cured the same, like to our regulations here in the United States. So it got tossed and kind of bummed because it was three brand new packs not even open but it was you know something nobody ever told me that I can't purchase a piece of meat in an airport that's vacuum sealed by a manufacturer and not bring it back ah that would I I don't think I would think of that either I would think of you know like even whenever you fly within the country you know there's a lot of things that you can't bring in but once you once you're through the the security and everything you know you can buy a bottle of water you can you know you can buy all those things so I would have been the same way. I would have thought, oh, well, I bought it in the airport, so we're good. Right, right. And that was kind of my thought is, like, I knew you couldn't bring unpackaged bit long back with you, but I had no idea you couldn't bring it back if it was, like, manufactured in a facility and, and vacuum sealed and a sealed package. Like, I made sure I didn't even open them on the airplane because I wanted to bring them back for the kids to try bit long. And, uh, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> so... For those who are listening, because I'm very ignorant to this as well, um, I have a I have a pretty good idea, but but then again, I've never had any firsthand experience. What happens whenever you go over to Africa or you know any country and you harvest what would be considered a, a trophy animal? What happens to the meat? What happens to all those things? Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So um, when I was in South Africa, I was able to harvest um, an impala, a zebra, a kudu, and a niala bull. And my dad that went with me was able to harvest a sable and an impala. So basically after what, with each of those animals, what happens is, is first it goes to the, at the facility, they process it right then and there. um, And they cut out whatever meat that they're going to cook you for that meal for the day. So you can try everything you harvest. Um, but then they quarter it all up, they process it out, and then they deliver it to the villages, the schools, the nursing homes. Um, and it just kind of gets divvied up throughout the community where it's needed. So there's a lot of high fences over there. Um, it's kind of a misconception that there's wildlife in South Africa. Unless it's on a, a reserve or it's in a high fence, everything else has pretty much been poached. So there's not a lot of natural resources in a third world country like they can't just go to a grocery store. So by us going over there and doing these conservation hunts in Africa, it's actually supplying their entire lifestyle meals. So they get to, we get to keep a certain, like a certain portion for us to consume. Um, They keep a certain portion that way they can feed their next guests, but then all the rest of it is donated out. And a lot of it goes more to the schools and the villages, but if nursing homes need it or anything like that, it goes there as well. I think that's awesome. And from what I have read and those that I have talked to, I mean, the village that is that's, you know, surrounding the hunts and that these meats and stuff are being provided to. I mean, they they very much welcome those oh, yeah. who are coming over to hunt. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's adding to their economy because um, it's essentially the, the villagers that they're employing. So that's who's cooking your meals. That's who's making your bed, doing your laundry you know, grooming the past. Cause I mean, uh, the ranch I was on was 32,000 acres. Somebody has to take care of that, especially with elephants, because they do so much detriment to the environment that like they pull trees right out of the ground. Somebody has got to be there to move them. 
Um, so it's employing those people, it's feeding them by us donating the meat back. But then we also have, you know, the funding that we're going to go there, we're going to experience their culture, we're going to purchase things from them. Uh, the taxidermy, everything has to be dip and packed and, and go through customs and be quarantined over there. So it's employing people over there when we come there. It's really sad to see a third world country in person. Um, you can hear about it, you can see it on TV, but to see it in person and see, you know, kids not having shoes and, and living in things that we wouldn't even consider worthy of putting our lawnmowers in and full families are living in them and realizing how privileged we are here in the United States to be able to go to a grocery store. They don't have that same capability that we do. They don't have a lot of the modern amenities. Like one of the crazy things I learned is they don't have cheese. Uh, the only cheese they were able to get there was feta. It's so simple that we take for granted. It just blew my mind that they don't even have cheese. They didn't have milk. Um, I mean, they had, I shouldn't say they don't have milk, but they don't have milk like we do where you're going to go to a grocery store and get it. Right. That would kill me not having cheese. Like I, I have, I have a dairy issue, so I have to take pills and stuff, you know, um, to have, to have dairy. And my doctor had told me, you know, one of the best things, just cut out cheese. And I looked at him like, are you kidding me? (laughs) So, so I can't even imagine like that just being not an option, you know, that would kill me. Even though the juice we had while we were there was all hand squeezed. It's not like purchase. Like it's funny, like pastas and things like that. You're not just running to a grocery store to grab a box of noodles. If you forgot them to make dinner, like you're at the resort and the mercy of just making your own and harvesting your own stuff. It's, it's quite neat. Um, And for people that don't have anything, they're like the most happy go lucky people I've ever met in my life. Hmm. Well, you know, I think about things here, but if you've never experienced, you know, if that's the lifestyle that you have grown up with and you've never experienced, then you don't know what you're missing. Right. You know, I, I think of it that way. So, you know, it's just like, I've never had a million dollars, so I don't know what I'm missing, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. No, now, it's, uh, it's kind of neat though, because I've, I've traveled all over the United States and uh, that was my first international experience of of anything. And it was kind of neat to see the aspect and the culture that was over there, but also like how accustomed to things that we've became over here. So it's it's kind of like a, a really humbling, eye-opening experience to have it firsthand. Um, and like we have, you know, zoos here in the United States that have gave us this like false persona on a lot of animals. Like, for instance, the zebra a lot of people have been like, do you eat, like, can you eat a zebra? I've never seen that. Like we, we compare them to a horse and in all reality, they're no different than a white tail to us. It's still just a wild game meat. And it's quite fantastic. To be honest with you, it it was a pretty good meat. That's awesome. So for those who are listening and, and would like to maybe, you know, one day go and, and experience Africa or, or any of the other countries that you could hunt in. Um, now, Women of the Wild, we're, we're going to try to put a hunt together here um, to do that in August. But what are some of the things that I guess was a little different for you while preparing to go over there that, you know, isn't the same as as going to Texas or, or whatnot? What is some of the, the pre-hunt things that we're needed to know about? Uh, well, first, you have to have your passport to travel internationally. Uh, that was something I didn't even have. And then other than that, being physically capable, it's it's a pretty physically demanding hunt. Um, so conditioning yourself physically for that emotionally. Uh, but honestly, it really wasn't that different. It was as far as like, you know, trekking down to Texas or Oklahoma or something like that. Packing was about the same. Actually, I think I packed less for Africa for six days in Africa than I did for a weekend in Oklahoma um, because they have the amenities to be able to like at these facilities to wash your laundry every day. So I only had to bring two gear, two, um, days gear of gear to go hunting. And, uh, you didn't really need a lot of casual wear cause you didn't really leave the ranches. But, um, as far as like packing for a hunt, it was, it was pretty spot on with what you would do here in the United States. It was just getting the things put together, um, to do the travel, like the passport that you either have to have your vaccine card or have a negative test. Um, things like that. But other than that, gearing yourself up for that plane ride, that 16 hour plane ride over the ocean, that was a a mental defeat all in itself. And jet lag's no joke. So 
other than that, like on your way there, you don't really experience the jet lag on the way there because they're six hours ahead of us. So when you get there, you're too excited. You know, you're, it doesn't really matter, but it's, it's when you came home, I think is more what hit me of that jet lag where I felt just awful for a good five days. And, uh, quite honestly, I I think it kind of messed with, with me at my sleep schedule for probably a good two weeks. Oh yeah, I agree. I, um, spent 21 days in Europe uh, after I had graduated and that was, that was the thing for me too, you know, and, and not only that, but I think on the way back, you know, you, your adrenaline from being there and how excited you were and, and all of the things that you were doing and seeing kind of starts to wear off where while you're there, that kind of keeps pushing you, you know, the whole time you're there, like it's something new. I want to see this. I want to see that, you know, and then you get home and you're like, Ooh, I'm whipped. So yeah, Yeah. I could, I could definitely see that. So, all right. Well, let's, let's transition a little bit into how you started women of the wild. How did this, how did this come about? Um, Was it like a hold your beer moment kind of thing (laughs) or, or did you, you know, sit down and have a plan where, where did the vision come from? Well, so it, the startup of it was definitely a hold my, hold my beer moment. Um, but in prior to that, I had been doing stuff with getting women and helping get other people outdoors. Like I started a lot with, you know, inviting more women in the outdoors. As I was hunting, I realized I was the only female in the field. So I started just by like inviting other women to come with me. And it was it was pretty hard to find other women locally. Um, so then I, I kind of transitioned to youth and I started taking a lot of youth out with me and every chance that I got either, you know, to take my kids out or to take my kids and one of their friends or something like that is really how it started growing. And I realized how much of a passion I had for watching someone else harvest something for the first time or hear a turkey gobble for the first time. Um, it really just like drove this passion to the point where I knew that I had to do something and do this more frequently. And uh, I actually went on a salmon trip on a women's group um, that it was just a women's group out on Lake Michigan. And from there, it really set it in my head, like, this is what I have to do. I need to schedule more trips like this. And from there, like it, it was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to dive in. I'm a very, um, I don't even know how to say that. I'm, I'm a person that like, when I put my mind to it, I'm diving headfirst and I'm, I'm going to put all of my effort into it. And that's what I did. I kind of hit the ground running and I started with just a Facebook page and, um, just started reaching out to people. I, we had a, a trip donated to us right off the get go. Like we started in June and one of the wild started in June of 2021. And by July, we had already had a trip donated and took a group of two other women, myself and one of my male friends. Um, I had had him go with us because this was somebody I didn't, I didn't know. Um, I'd done my research and made sure they had a captain's license and checked out. But we talked for a few months prior to all of this. And um, I was really big in like bow fishing. And this gentleman reached out to me who was a Marine veteran, him and his wife were absolutely fantastic, but they're both captains out on the Potomac and um, Southern Maryland bow fishing set us up with a really great adventure. And the four of us went out there and we went on a bow fishing trip and we, we did snakeheads, we did blue cats, just absolutely awesome. Came back from that trip and just started scheduling more and more trips and, and getting this like camaraderie together of women experiencing things together. And the more that we did, the more I've kind of like revamped things to the way, like, cause now we, it started with just trips and in my head, I always knew that we needed to get more educational base because there's so many women out there that want to try something new or, or have done it, but still don't feel like they've learned it. Like they, they, you can go duck hunting, but there's still something to learn kind of thing. So we've really in the last couple months, especially after adding you and and Cassidy on, we've really been able to switch gears a little bit and we've been able to schedule more. We've been able to focus more on the education, which I I know is a passion for you and I more more than anything is getting the education opportunities presented out to people. And then from there, like, I mean, that's where we're at now is, is just scheduling events and, and scheduling workshops and virtual learning 
just really anything that we're able to do, um, branching out and getting some of our sponsors. We'd ha we've had some really great things donated to us over the last couple months that have helped us afloat. Like we've had RM Custom Calls donate calls for us for call drives. Uh, ACC Crappie Sticks has donated us crappie rods so we can raise funding to be able to provide these opportunities and be able to provide a more education base that's done by certified professionals and not just, you know, your neighbor in his backyard. Um, I think that's really important is to have people that this is their lifestyle um, instructing our courses because they're going to be the most well-versed person to provide that opportunity to new people. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I, I think that it's important too, for those listening, you know, we're, we're doing these events, but it does have that educational focus to it. So if you see an event that you, you know, that we post and you're like, Hey, I'd really like to do that, but I've never gone duck hunting before. I've never, I've never gone fly fishing. I don't even know how to tie a fly things along those lines. You know, the way that these events are set up, that education is put in there. So if you've never done this before, you have someone who is willing to help you walk through those steps so that it's not as intimidating. And I, I think that's huge for people to hear. Yes, I, I agree. So all of our trips are set up that it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or a newbie to it. We're going to be able to get you in the field and have a good time. Um, but I will say that a lot of our stuff is more geared and focused towards the people that have never done something to provide that education and the, the reasoning why things are done. Um, I, I know that, you know, we talked about it on our last podcast a little bit, but to dive into it a little bit more, like our fly fishing event that we did um, in September, we took a group of women out who had never fly fished before uh, taught them how to, how to cast, how to set their rods up, like pretty basic essentials, how to tie knots. And then we also had uh, Baldwin Bait and Tackle come out and do a fly tying lesson. So we taught the girls what type of flies are going to catch, what type of fish and what colors are needed. And we talked about water clarity and, you know, season of, of like bite versus kind of like a flossing method. And and we, we talked about so many different aspects that we really immerse these girls with an education as to just taking you out and trying to put you on fish. Sometimes it's not like, I, I want people to understand, it's not always about putting a pile on the ground or, or how many fish are in the cooler at the end. It's what you've learned and you can take home and go do it on your own. So being able to teach the girls how to set their rods up, like something that simple, it's not the same setup as it is for like, you know, an open reel or a closed reel or a bait caster, like you still got to set it up, but these, a fly rod, you're, you're taking three, four parts of pieces apart every time you're setting it up and taking it down, you know, what way your tips got to be in when you put it away. I mean, we went over all of that, um, floating line versus sinking line and what type of flies are needed and what type of current, um, just, I mean, I mean, anything that you can think of that and then I'm probably preceding that. So if you've thought of it, we've probably already thought of it too, but then we're going to take it a next level and make sure that you have a full understanding as to why we're doing it the way that we're doing it, because it's going to stick in your memory a little bit better if you understand why that's done. And I know in our last podcast, Cassidy had discussed about our, our goose hunt where we talked about anything from, uh, chokes and shot sizes to use but we also went in and we talked about like your camo the coloring of, of what type of hunt you're doing or what type of blind you're using whether camo's even needed sometimes it's not we talked about you know wearing a baseball hat so that way you can cover the whites of your eyes and we discussed you know uh blind etiquette on everything like a lot of people didn't know that when you go out duck hunting, you don't have to sit there and quiet like you do for whitetail. You can actually get up, move around, talk, have a good time. And I think that's why some of those hunts do really well is because you can bond with the people you're with opposed to going out in a deer stand and you got to be as quiet as possible. We're going to break you up and, and go out on different pieces of a property. It's kind of nice to do things where you can build a community. Yeah. And, and that to me is definitely a, an attractant to these events, you know, um, I know like there's a, there's a lot of women that are on Facebook and social media that, that have now posted that they're 
you know, fishing, hunting, trapping and whatnot. But sometimes connecting and networking with those women can be a little hard, you know, like you don't want to seem weird, you know, reaching out or whatnot. So going on these events allows you to have that that connection, that closeness that later on, you know, some of these women could become best friends and may may not sign up for one of our events, but just do a, a hunt or something together, you know, and and those are those are things that excite me about it as well. Yeah, I, I have to say that's that's the most rewarding part about all of this is seeing these girls get out there and either do it on their own or do it with their families, their dads, their brothers, um, or like getting another one of their female friends outdoors. To me, I, when I see that either a girl has taken one of her female friends out and is now comfortable enough to show one of her female friends how to do it, or kids, when I see that, that to me is up to par with exactly what we want to see. And it's the most rewarding thing out of all of this is seeing these girls educated enough that they feel comfortable and confident enough to get out there and start doing it. And, and then they're excited. So they're sharing it with even more people and that's bringing more people. And like in the last decade, hunting licenses have plummeted. They've been on the decline for a decade. And I feel that, that now we're going to start raising those numbers, but we're also going to start being able to carry that on to our youth, which is our next generation of conservation, which is very important, but being able to provide that um, that service to these people to get that confidence level where they want it to be, but also start building that passion that this becomes just a part of their everyday life and that they're confident enough to get out there and do it again, but do it again and bring more people into the sport. I think it's just fantastic. Oh, I fully agree. And, you know, something that you had said earlier about how on that, on, on the fly fishing and, and the, um, the, the other hunting event that we had, you know, you had talked about how not only do we walk through, you know, every step, why you're doing this, what you're doing, you know, you take it to that next level. So now they're, like you said, comfortable enough to pass that information along to their friends, take out their, their sons, their daughters, you know, whatnot. And then you, you as an instructor, you know, have the confidence that they are doing it safely. You know, mm -hmm. they've, they've picked up those, those safety tips, you know, and I think that that's something that is huge. You know, um, it's, it's one thing, you know, to, to put someone on fish. It's another, you know, to, when you put a gun in somebody's hand, making sure that they really have that, that safety in the back of their head, I think is, is huge too. You know, yeah. you, you want them to be, to be safe and have fun. So yeah, to piggyback off that, the biggest thing, especially when a firearm's included is that the safety aspect has to be on the forefront at all times. Everything else is actually the background, um, is how I instruct it. Like your safety is on until you're ready to pull that trigger. Your gun's not loaded until it's legal shooting time. Um, and explaining to them why that's important and explaining to them, you know, keeping your gun in a, a safe direction, um, you know, keeping, you know, obstructions out of the barrel, like all those things are things that we make sure are the forefront of our educational programs. So that way it becomes almost, you know, it, it's almost just second nature by the time you're done with a hunt is, oh, no, you can't do that. Or or they start to become more aware. Um, nothing nothing gives me more fear than someone new with a gun in their hand. Um, but when you address it and you make the safety, the primary focus, it becomes a second nature to them pretty quickly. Um, people understand that, you know, this isn't a, it's not a, a toy that this is a tool. So expressing how important that tool is to utilize in the field and use it properly and safely is always the forefront. And, um, it, it gives me a really great sense of knowing that these girls are leaving every single event that we do, understanding the safety first and foremost, and everything else just kind of follows. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that that's, that's important for people to hear. And now a short word from our sponsors. Well, you see, trappers are a special breed of people. We're dedicated, committed, and passionate about what we do and who we are. 
Each and every one of us has an intense desire to be the very best we can. So in a world of skinny jeans, man buns, and pumpkin spice lattes, sometimes you just have to stop, push back, and tell the world, that's not me. Whether you're from the far north, or in the deep south, and anywhere in between, Southern Snares can help you succeed at getting the job done and being who you are. Girls with Guns Clothing is a proud sponsor of Women of the Wilds podcast. If you're looking for hunting gear, be sure to check out our new fall collection, including the launch of our new Artemis Generation 2 lineup. With Girls with Guns, you know that our gear has been designed and field tested by women who actually hunt and wear this gear. We have an amazing team of women who contribute and share their ideas and extensive field testing so that our gear works for you in multiple hunting environments. We build our gear for women of all shapes and sizes, made by women for women. If you want to try out GWG, you can go to gwgclothing.com and use WILD15 for a discount off of your first order. Hey everyone, Andy from ACC Crappie Sticks. I want to tell you about our full line of vertical jigging and live scoping crappie rods. We have from 10 foot to 13 foot in mid seat to rear seat and available in cork and super grip handles to cover all of your vertical fishing and live scoping needs. Go to acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. Spark that fire and passion for the great outdoors through the gift of reading and learning with your kids. Dr. Josh Farr's vivid storytelling will captivate and teach your little ones through books like The ABCs of Hunting, Let's Go Out and Play, and his latest book, coming soon, The ABCs of the Outdoors. Your kids will love the great stories and bright, colorful pictures as they learn about friendship, life, and nature. See all of Dr. Josh Farr's books at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. We would also like you to check out Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, RMC Custom Calls, Atlantic Coral Enterprise, Blast and Cast Guide Service, Epler Fur, Feather Moon Calls, Shangalaya Safaris, Shelly Emmer with Dirty Girl Guide Service, and Hunting Day Podcast. So you have this, this great company, you know, that it's growing and it's, it's really taken off. Um, but you had, had also said you have two young children. So how do you balance your, your trips, your home life and, and even hunting on your own? I mean, you're bringing your kids out with you. You're incorporating them into these, these different events that are outside of women in the wild, correct? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people don't know this. I work a full-time job just like everybody else. I work, um, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week. Um, and I'm in the healthcare industry. Um, I've been doing that for a little over nine years now. And, um, I have two kids. I have two wild, feral, wonderful boys, um, 13 and the other one will be nine next month, but they very much, love the outdoors they have their mother's soul and uh you just it's it's a way of life for me it's not it's not a, I wouldn't even consider it a hobby it's literally like in my blood um I'm outside every single day I, I get off my job you know my oldest is in football so running him around for football season um but on the weekends is really when we find the majority of our time and it really depends on the season because like running the trap line I, every day I get off work, I go get the kids from school and we go check our trap line. It's not something you can leave. Um, kind of like, unlike the goose field, we can let that sit all week and come to it on the weekend. So it just, it really depends. Um, we get out in the summer a lot. We go fishing. They're not in school. So as soon as I get off work, we hook the boat up and we go down to one of the local lakes or something like that. And it also, it's, it's a way of life just due to the fact that that's how we sustain our family is we're substance. So we don't hunt anything that we're not going to consume or utilize. Um, so if I know my freezer's running low, I don't have an option. I got to get out there. I shouldn't say I don't have an option because we always have the option to go to a grocery store. I just prefer 
a more natural resource for my meat than something that's been pumped full of hormones or antibiotics or bleaches. Um, I like to know where my meals are coming from. So, so for us, it's, it's not really even like it becomes a hobby. It's okay. Well, we're, we only have five pounds of venison left. We got to harvest X, Y, and Z before deer season, because we don't have the option to get a deer before deer season opens. But then like for this year, I'm using that example because we are out of venison in our household right now, even with three deer in the freezer last year. So this year, our goal is to put five in the freezer. Um, so we know that when deer season starts, we're going to have to crank down and at least get two right off the bat in our freezer. It's it's one of those things that you just you make time for it and it just becomes part of you, part of who you are. I mean, my my kids, my oldest just turned 15 last or 13 last week. And uh, I asked him what he wanted to do for his birthday. And he's like, I just want to go to the goose field. And I was like, okay, we'll go, we'll go lay some sky pandas down. And it, it's, it's great to be able to do that with them, but running women of the wild. And, and for a long time, I was doing it pretty solo. It was, it was time consuming and it's hard for, for anyone that wants to start a business or, you know, manage a, their normal life along with it, know that it comes with work. And it's a lot of work and you lose sleep and you go nights without eating dinner because you were too busy doing something else. And there's times where I've missed out on, you know, tucking my kids into bed because I was stuck on a a business call or something like that. But you got to know that when you start something fresh, you got to put your whole heart and soul into it. And as it grows and, and like we have, and we've, we've grown more people into this um, company that we're able to kind of delegate things, but really cracking down and doing it, you, you got to make sacrifices and it's hard. Um, there's, there was days where I'm like, I didn't get to tuck my kids in last night. I'm not doing that again. And you learn from it and you, it's more of a time management of knowing where, what needs your time and when. And once I learned that, once I got organized, organization is key. Once I got organized, that was a huge help, but I honestly don't, I don't know that Women of the Wild would be where it is today if it weren't for you, Linda and Cassidy, because the two of you really know how to hold a fort down and help. And it has helped me immensely, um, more than I can even express, because it takes a village to do something like this. And in order to reach the amount of women that we are reaching and will continue to reach is going to take more people. And it's really, really great to see a group of women come together so seamlessly and work so well together. I mean, we have no drama. We are, we complete each other's sentences. We already know what the next one is thinking. That to me is something to commend all in itself is because we can get together and we can be so focused and mindset on something and how it needs to be done and execute it very, very well. That's what's keeping this well oil machine rolling. I think it's funny that you said that because I was thinking back to a uh, a chat that we had where I was like, do I even need to listen to this message? Because I would send a message and then I'd play your message and it was the exact same message. So yeah, I, um, I agree. It, it's, it's nice to be on a team and, and have a board that is so focused on, on the exact same things. And, you know, I, I get it, you know, it's, it's hard especially when you feel like everything is, is on you, you know, being a mom running, running a business and, and all of those things, like those things are definitely hard. And I think what, what the three of us have going for us so much is that we're all busy. So we understand that. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like we've been perfectly, perfectly lined up that when one is busy, the other two kind of have calmed down a little bit. And it seems like it's like in a nice pattern, you know, right, right now, obviously we're, we're all kind of crazy, but you know, um, Cass has started her new job and, and things like that. So the, the two of us have been able to, to kind of keep down the fort and it seems like it's been a a perfect little timeline of, of all that. So it it works out really well. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you know, with, with, when I left to go international, you guys were able to hold the fort down perfectly fine. And then, you know, you got busy with your conventions and everything like that. And then Cass and I were able to, so it's kind of like we rotate out command of what our lives, but like you said, it's almost on like this carousel that, that just perfectly aligns with each other. So it's, it's honestly been really, 
well. I think it's going very, very well. And um, I, it just continues to get better. And and it's it's great to be able to, you know, converse with such like-minded people that have that same drive and passion and mission of helping other people. I think that is like the biggest aspect to all of it is having a team that is so in tune with one another that we like when we come up with an event, we're already on the same page before it's even like said to one another. Like you said, like we'll send each other messages throughout the week and, and you can already know what the next person's going to say. And it, it almost becomes comical sometimes because I remember we had a message that you and I said the exact same thing at the exact same time we hit that send button and we both just laughed about it for a minute. And it's, it's funny because it's been really hard to find caring like-minded people that have a good drive and a good work ethic and just that desire to do the right thing for other people and not put themselves first. Um, so it's, it's really neat to see that all come together. And it's been actually so pleasurable to be able to work with you guys because it's, it's just effortless. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Totally. Um, so let's change gears a little bit. What is in the future for you? What kind of hunts, what kind of events, um, what are you looking forward to? You know, you've, you've done a lot in the past. What, what does the future hold? Gosh, uh, I mean, there's really no end in sight to it. If you can, if it's a, a dream or a passion, we want to eventually be able to fill that bucket list item. But I'm really excited for the educational courses. We're going to do some workshops with USDA here in Michigan. Um, we're going to branch those out in other states. We have a, a pheasant hunt coming up in December uh, that we're teaming up with Michigan DNR, Pheasant Forever, Women on the Wing, Muzzy Pheasant Farm to be able to host this like granddaddy event of a tower hunt. Um, for a really exclusive price, you know, due to funding, which has been fantastic, but also like the educational courses. I know we have that trapping event in November. We have the canning class in January, but we also are looking into doing foraging classes, shed hunting 101. Um, really there's no end in sight to be able to do things. You know, we, we've talked about doing virtual archery, uh, courses. We've talked about uh, hunter's education, being able to get more women well-versed in the outdoors and educated, but also our youth. Um, if, if there's a want or a desire for it, we'd really like to fill that buck, that, that list for some of these girls. Um, as far as events, we were, as, as you stated earlier, we'll be going back to Africa. Um, we'll be taken, it, it drove such a passion for me that I just want others to experience it. So we've set up a, an August trip for eight women to go to Africa with me. Um, so we'll be doing that. We have iguanas, um, we'll be doing hogs, we'll be doing alligators, we'll be doing some bow fishing, a lot more bow fishing. We have some on uh, down in Florida, so it'll be like stingrays and, and flounder and stuff like that. We're also gonna do some carp and stuff up here in the north, some, some gar, I'm looking into some gator gar hunts, uh, talking about free range aw dads um, with Wicked Seven Outdoors down in Texas. One of the best guys down there doing that and getting out on some of that kind of stuff. Um, backpacking and camping weekends for these girls to have a weekend together in the outdoors and just build that, that passion for the outdoors with each other and build those friendships. Uh, we'd like to start doing, you know, paddling, uh, paddling, events and dove hunts um there's really just not an end in sight if, if there's a way to hunt it we're going kind of across the map with it all that it's just it's in due time so if it's something you want to do I encourage ladies to get a hold of us and put it on our radar because maybe it's not reach out send us an email uh women of the wild outdoors at gmail.com send us an email let us know your thoughts if there's a course you want to see or an event you want to do put it on our radar. Yeah. And I actually want to touch base on something that I think that is uh, kind of neat. So you've been working on your guide license and your captain license, correct? So I have my guides license here in Michigan. Um, license insured, ready to go. Uh, it's misguided. And uh, I did that in focus to be able to help women of the wild. So I'm not taking, uh, I'm not booking hunts for the general public. I'm only doing it for women or youth hunts. 
Um, and my captain's license is, is something that will be in the future. Yeah. I just like to bring up, you know, that you have how much you've invested into this, you know, so we're not just relying on other guides, other, um, programs, you know, uh, businesses and, and whatnot that, that you've really taken extra steps to make sure and ensure that we're really getting quality experiences. Yeah. So I, I, right now I do a lot of volunteer work as well. So I do a lot with helping veterans get in the outdoors. And every time someone reaches out to me to captain a boat. So the way that it works on the Great Lakes is as long as you're not charging, you can be a captain. So what I do is I volunteer my time and we'll go out for like the walleye events. We teamed up, I teamed up just this past spring for the walleye event out on the Detroit River uh, with United Veterans of Michigan and, and volunteered not only my boat and my time, all my tackle, everything to, to get out there and take veterans out. It's a, it's a passion. Um, so there's, it's something that the outdoors is instilled in me and I'm just willing to help where I can, but making sure that I have everything where it has to be to legally be able to do all of this. So I tell girls all the time, like, if it's something you want to do, I can take you out. I'm just not going to charge you. Um, but eventually like we like to be able to reimburse yourself. So it's not always coming out of your pocket. Um, is, is part of the reason of doing like the guide's license and the captain's license is to make sure that you're getting, I think it's important to notate that there's not a lot of female guides. Um, so getting out with another female, like we discussed in our, our last podcast, it embodies what we're doing is to have a female instructor and it's really hard to find. So by me doing that, it's going to put us in a, a better dynamic as a whole to be able to have a female instructor out there with these girls who is just as well-versed and educated as a man can be, but maybe provide a more comfortable, safe environment for them. Um, but all the guides that we work with, we vet them out. So we make sure that every guide, you know, is who they say they are, that they're licensed, that they're insured, that they're, you know, going to put our girls on at the best opportunity we can't it's wildlife you can't ever guarantee anything but at least provide the best experience and opportunity that we can get um but with us being you know michigan based we do a lot here in michigan so to be able to help with that and and also be able to cut the cost because i don't have to charge for an educational hunt what a typical guide has to charge i can choose the own price for it so you know, it's a couple hundred bucks to go in the goose field where like our educational goose hunt, it was a hundred dollars a girl. That's not something you're going to find if you go out with your typical guide, but because of me having my guides license and being able to host that in my field, um, or, you know, teaming up with Colt with Waterloo wings and water, he's been, he's been fantastic at donating us, uh, or cutting his costs way, way down in order to get these girls out because, you know, as a, a man supporting more women getting in the outdoors and supporting youth. I mean, that's something he does with his guide service anyways. So teaming up with us has been, has been really neat because being as well-versed as he has, he's been in waterfall longer than I have. So we're kind of a good team there because we can get out there and I can, I can instruct from a woman's perspective, but then he's right there to back it up with, with more of the scientific aspect of, of what the animals are doing and why they're doing it. Um, or, you know, being on the same page that if, if two girls have two separate questions, but at the same time, we're both there to answer it. Um, so that's been pretty neat and being able to have mentors out there, um, that actually know what they're doing or are licensed professionals. It's, it's been a big key for us to be able to have that and utilize those people and these businesses that are willing to help us. So it's, it's pretty neat to see it all come together and how much people are willing to help us with what we're doing and, and help get these, uh, you know, women in the outdoors. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I joke around a lot about how, um, I've through the trapping industry, you know, I've, I've met some people who actually almost seem more enthusiastic to be a part of like trapping girl things and, and women events, you know, seeing, seeing women out there and, and supporting women getting into different sports, I guess you want to call it, um, you know, then they do their, their male, you know? Um, so I just, I just think it's, it's funny how some 
people out there are are super encouraging on on getting women out there and and almost overboard encouraging you know like yes what can i do what can i provide how can i help even more and and that's phenomenal i i honestly think it's a testament to where we are where we're at socially um for a long time it, it wasn't okay growing up it was taboo for a female to hunt um so the fact that we have that support now to me is just awesome because it's not something i've ever experienced i mean deer camp fish camp i've never been allowed to go and i was kind of like screw it then i'll make my own and i said it jokingly for many many years until this all came about and a lot of a lot of people were like damn i didn't know you were serious and i was like well yeah i, I want to do it too like just because i'm not a male doesn't mean that i can't go fishing and and now i'll joke and i'll be like oh so you didn't want to take me because i catch more fish than you like it just is a joke but it's it's been really hard to get support from men and um growing up in such a male dominant atmosphere it's really great to see women are are leading sales in in every aspect of the outdoor world than what it was five ten years ago um you know 20 years ago it was kind of an unheard of thing to hear of a woman out there hunting not that there weren't but now now i feel that there are more women in it than there ever have been and uh it's i think it's because of that because there are so many people out there willing to support it and willing to take that chance and that opportunity it's it's kind of nice to to showcase these women who are out there striving above it all and and kind of going against all odds and getting out there like seeing these women get out and do like solo hunts on like big game i it, there's no, i don't know it's just it's it's badass to me to see that because it's not something we ever had before. It's not something you grew up for that was normal. And now you see it everywhere. And, and I, I think that it's really cool to see so many people willing to support women because we didn't have it for so long. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And, and I know you probably yourself, you know, you've had some backlash of those who, you know, are like, Hey, silly little girl kind of thing. But I have to say it's as far as like even with Trapping Girl, you know, um, and and whenever I really kind of emerged into the trapping community, I had women who had came up to me and I'm sure you have yourself who said watching your pictures, seeing your videos and things like that almost gave me permission to do the same. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I felt like somebody was saying, you know, this is OK. And and I love now. Um, and the last, I feel like it's been the last like three years, the mm -hmm. internet has really super exploded with, with women in hunting, fishing, trapping, you know, just everywhere, sharing pictures, sharing what they're doing, um, and how much encouragement other women are getting from that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had a lot of women that, that have told me how, like, I've inspired them to pick their bow up. Uh, I'm an avid archery uh, guru with it. Uh, I love my compound, but I love my recurve. And I've had a lot of women pick up their bows that were like, I, w I, I hadn't picked up my bow in 10 years, or I've never even bow hunted, but seeing you do it made me want to do it, or just anything in the outdoors that encouragement. I think that a lot of times, because women have been so left on the sidelines in the outdoors, that when they see another female doing it, it kind of, like you said, gives them that permission of, heck, if she can do it, I can do it. I want to do that. That looks neat. Like, I think that it's, uh, it's open a lot of doors. And I agree with you that within the last three years, I think it's exploded and I think it's going to continue to get bigger. Yeah. And I think with groups, you know, like ours, that it's, it's no longer, okay, I want to do this, you know, now I need to ask my husband or I need to ask my my boyfriend or father to teach me, you know, now with with groups like ours and and companies that like we have, you know, taking these events and and these educational opportunities to them. Like you said, I think it's just going to I think it's going to go crazy. So, um, one thing I did want to want to kind of touch base on before we sign off, you know, I tried to keep these to an hour, but um, so you have you have talked a lot about volunteering with veterans um, and, and taking veterans out on different things. 
why is that such a a forefront for you? Why is that such a passion for you? Oh, uh, so my my grandfather was military. My sister, uh, she's actually made a career out of it. She's been in for 21 years now, and she's going to keep pushing forward along with her husband and cousins. And uh, I, my whole family, someone in our family, there's always been military. And I have to say my sister, my sister is probably the number one push and drive. Um, she's 21 years into the Air Force. And to see how much of her life that she devotes to the military and what she does for our country. Um, it really just, when I can give back to those people and serve them the way that they're serving our nation, there's, there's not a greater feat for me than to be able to help those people. So veterans are, are a soft spot in my heart. Um, I've, I personally have a lot of friends and like I said, my grandfather, my, my ex husband's grandfather was a Marine and seeing what these people have sacrificed for us, um, seeing loved ones die from in the military, uh, serving overseas, people have gave up their lives to support what we have and our ability to be doing the things that we're doing and to get out and hunt. We wouldn't be doing these things without them. So when I, whenever there's an opportunity to help veterans, I, I will always be the first to raise my hand, uh, whether that be ultimate veteran adventures uh, with Joe, whether that be, you know, house in the woods or here in Michigan with any of our uh, veteran organizations, when there's any type of event going on that's for our veterans, I will be the first to stand up and volunteer or give up my seat for one of them because they have done everything and gave up their, quite honestly, signed their life over to be able to protect our nation. And to me, that's the least I can do is, is donate my day or a couple hours of my day to them to show that appreciation and support for everything that they've done for us. So when it, when it comes to that United Veterans of Michigan and, and ultimate veteran adventures, um, I, I, I just, I, my hat's off to those guys because serving our nation and, and doing everything that providing that support back and, and, you know, soldier, soldier suicide, uh, rates have been so high that I personally have had that affected in my life as well. So sometimes it's, it's not even about showing the support for, for what they're giving up, but also that mindset and mentality that a lot of these men fight, men and women fight on their own, um, that a lot of people don't see. Um, I've got to see it firsthand and experience it firsthand. And, and it's a life-changing thing to be able to help those people and possibly be the prevention to something like that and giving them an atmosphere where they can come together with brothers and sisters and have that camaraderie and share that passion in the outdoors and have that escape is always something that I'm more than happy to help do. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that right there is also one of the, um, one of the things that attracted me to you. Um, my, my father and my grandfather both served and my son is actually in the National Guard and working on going to West Point um, next year. So that is one of the things that really attracted me to you. Not only, you know, are you do we have the same mind frame of of trying to help women, you know, tap into to different hunting, fishing, trapping activities, but the fact that you were also had that that soft spot for for those that serve our country was really something that just, it was almost like a magnet towards you. Yeah. It's uh, I feel that the people that get it will get it. Uh, and the people that don't, I don't think ever will. I, I hope that changes, but we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing today. We wouldn't be out in the field. We wouldn't be hunting. We wouldn't be, you know, going to our jobs, doing everything that we're able to do if it weren't for them. And to do something as simple as volunteering your time to assist them definitely is always the forefront. And uh, like I said, any opportunity that I get, I, I will be the first to raise my hand and be there for them or give my seat up for one to be there. I and wish we, more people were like that. We here at Women of the Wild support that. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit on our last podcast, but uh, we took, you know, funded a female veteran to get out on a turkey hunt, paid for her tags, you know, took care of lodging, meals, everything like that. So all she had to do was show up. Um, and we, we hope to be able to do more of those types of things. And that's what, that's why it's so important for, you know, jump on our website and grab a t-shirt, um, 
you know, supporting supporting our merch sales are, are really important because that's where that type of funding goes. Our events, we don't make money off our events. We, we charge what we have to, uh, to be able to pay for the guides and the gratuity and, and stuff like that. But we don't, we don't make profit off of our events and any, any overhead that we get goes back into our educational programs and being able to assist our female veterans out there. Um, so I, I think it's really important for people to know that and what you're supporting, um, that, you know, it, it's not like your, your dollar when it's spent is just buying you a t-shirt. It's buying you the shirt that represents what we represent, but it's also putting some funding back into being able to get more female veterans outdoors. And uh, there's a lot of organizations out there assisting veterans, but they're very male dominated. So if we can give a female veteran a safe space um, with everything that female veterans go through, I think that's really important as well. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, So we're coming up on our hour here. Is there anything else you want to add before signing off? Anything else you want to say? Maybe something I didn't ask or cover? So I will say to any woman that that wants to get in the outdoors, come give it an experience, come have an experience with us and build build that sisterhood, make some friends, but also learn something and, and build that to your arsenal of what you already are capable of doing. And uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can go to our website, www.womenofthewild.net, or you can send us an email if there's something that you want to do that you haven't seen us do yet, a women of the wild outdoors at gmail.com. And uh, come experience the outdoors with us. It, it can be life-changing. And I'd also like to add, um, you know, if, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, thoughts, you know, sending a message through Women of the Wild is, is a great way of, of doing that. But you can also reach out to, to each one of us personally. You know, mm-hmm. all three of us on the board are here for any questions, any way to help. Even if we don't have the answer, we're going to find it. So um, please, in, in any way, shape or form, if you ever feel that you, you know, want to ask something and you're maybe just a little nervous or, or whatnot, don't be because that's what we're here for. Yeah. And, and know like when they're reaching out to women of the wild, that it's going to be one of the three of us responding. Um, I think that's important for those women to know is, is who's on the other end of those messages. When you message women of the wild, you're getting myself, Linda or Cass, um, when you message that. So if you don't feel comfortable and you want to reach out to one of us personally and individually, I definitely encourage that. Don't ever leave a question unanswered. If, if you have a question, come to us. And like Linda said, if we don't have the answer, we'll find you someone that does. Well, thank you for your time, Felicia. Um, I know you'll be back on quite often, but um, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down, kind of give a little background of who you are, how this all got started and and I, I appreciate you for all that you've done for us. Well, I appreciate you doing this. And and honestly, I, I appreciate the hell out of you and Cass because we wouldn't be where we're at without the two of you. So it's definitely a team effort. And I think it's important for people to see that and, and know these women that have your back, that we're all three here for you. Um, and as that progresses, we're going to be adding ambassadors that have that same mindset and mentality that we're just here to help. So let us help you. So before we sign off, I want to let everybody know we um, will this fall have out, well, I guess it's actually more towards the winter, probably in November, we'll have a cookbook and a calendar that will be up for sale um, to to help support these events, to help, you know, lower the cost, to help where, you know, like, like she had said earlier about donating, you know, a hunt or whatnot to a woman veteran. Um, so they will be on on in time for Christmas, you know, so you can grab those as a Christmas gift. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors that that have been behind us. Um, you know, go on our our website, womenofthewild.net, um, and then grab some merchandise. The cookbooks and the calendar will be out on that website as well. And thank you all for tuning in. We have our 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 podcast is is bi-weekly. So in In two more Fridays, we'll be back again. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions or would like to check out our website, it is www.womenofthewild.net.
We post different events and everything that we've got going on. We would really like to also thank our sponsors, ACC Crappie Sticks, Girls with Guns, Southern Snare, Sawmill Creek Baits and Lures, RMC Custom Calls, Atlantic Coral Enterprise, Blast and Cast Guide Service, Epler Fur, Feather Moon Calls, Shangalaya Safari, Dr. Josh Farr Children's Books, and Shelly Emmer with Dirty Girl Guide Service. Thank you all and hope that you tune in in two weeks for our next episode.